honestly, a deal kind of fell in my lap, right? So the that uh, property I gave you an example of that went from two thousand to over a hundred thousand um, in revenue. The person that owns that property also owns a brokerage and is a developer. So after a couple, probably like a year and a half, we were crushing it with that property, and he found this hotel deal, uh, the first one, and he brought it to me, and he was like, "Hey, man." would your systems work at scale on something like this, like a commercial property on like a hotel? And so we went and looked at it and I was like, yeah, like definitely. Like after I looked at the layout and we could talk about some of the things I looked for, but I was like, yeah, this could definitely work. Um, but I said, I don't want a management fee. If we do this, I want ownership in this deal. And he talked to his business partner about it. And long story short, they were like, okay, done deal. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey, fellow Savvy Real Estate Investors. Good to have you back with us. I have a really cool guest on the show today. Uh, his name is Mike Shogren, and he is actually the brains behind a really great mastermind down south in the United States called STR Secrets. And the reason I know Mike is because I joined the mastermind just about a month ago when I was looking to immerse myself in a community so that I could learn more about short-term rentals. And he is honestly so impressive. I enjoyed our conversation with him so very much. He started out in short-term rentals, just like most people do. And now he's basically scaled into something really interesting, which is boutique hotels, which is essentially running uh, Airbnb style, you know, hotels. Uh, so I'll let him talk a lot more about that. And that that that's really intriguing to me because, you know, I love anything that you can do at scale. And and so does Mike, obviously. So, um, you know, that was what led him into that. But um, yeah, you know, the, the cool thing about the mastermind, which is, I think, like, I don't know, over 300 members now, um, is that they really teach you everything there is to know from, uh, you know, acquiring a good deal, analyzing good numbers. And then, you know, the obviously operations side, which is so important in this industry because, you know, at the end of the day, short-term rentals are part of the hospitality industry and hospitality is a business. It's not just a passive investment or it's not just, hey, let me purchase this house and, you know, let it run. Um, you know, of course, there is means to hire um, people to to do that for you. But, you know, the gist of the group is to create systems so that, 
essentially the properties can run really efficiently as short-term rentals. So anyway, I'm really looking forward to the conversation with him. Um, and I, I think he can tell, he can, he can provide a lot of insight about what he does and about the mastermind itself and just about creating amazing systems. Because for me, uh, that is just so, so important. Optimizing businesses through systems is essentially what creates a business where, you know, you're no longer the owner operator and you can move into the seat of entrepreneur and focus on growing that business. So, uh, Jose is actually not with me today because he's over, uh, at a conference in Dallas this week and, uh, learning lots about, uh, the multifamily space and, uh, focusing on, uh, our growth strategies over there. And in terms of, uh, what I'm up to right now, I am just really focusing on a couple things, but, uh, in terms of our local portfolio, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, we have about 150 units here in the greater Toronto area that we own and we self-manage. So we are very vertically integrated in the sense that we do everything in-house from the acquisition to the renovation and then to the property management. Um, and so I've just been really focusing on analyzing our properties, understanding what kind of performance each one has, and then determining sort of strategies to optimize the portfolio, whether that be to liquidate some of the properties and channel those funds into other things, or to try to, you know, create midterm rentals or short-term rentals within the space. So yeah, lots of that going on. And of course, I'm analyzing lots of deals every day with the short-term space. I think that for those who are looking to get into the short-term space as somebody who is doing the exact same thing, analyzing numbers and understanding your numbers is just so integral. I analyze, like, you know, I try my best to analyze at least two deals a day where I'm just really running the performas, looking at the numbers and, and really determining whether something's a good deal or not. And the more deals you analyze, the quicker you're going to be able to start to see, hey, like, no, right away, like the numbers work, rough nap napkin math starts to become second nature on deals. And then when that great deal comes along, the one that you're looking for that fits the criteria that you have, it's, it's really much easier to pull that trigger and to understand that, yes, like I have enough understanding of the numbers to make an informed decision. So anyway, but um, I think that our conversation with Mike today will really highlight some of that too and just how analytical he is and how operations focused he is, which has, in my opinion, really led to his success. So uh, really great guy, really great conversation. I can't wait for you to tune in. So here's uh, Mike. Hey, everyone. I have Mike Strogen on the show today. So excited to have you, Mike. Um, for those of you who don't know Mike, um, you will definitely know him today and I'm sure learn so much from him. Um, Mike is the uh, founder of the uh, Short-Term Rental Secrets podcast. He also is the founder of the STR Secrets Mastermind, which I will say that I am a proud member of. Um, it has been absolutely amazing. So much learning about short-term rentals. Um, I'd say one of the largest and uh, most uh, well put together mastermind groups out there. So that is why I chose to work with them. Um, and, you know, I highly recommend you guys check it out, but I will let Mike do most of the talking. So Mike has a background in uh, finance. Um, he was actually a CPA before he became a full-time real estate investor, which is probably going to be quite evident with his extreme well understanding of numbers and his analytical abilities when it comes to analyzing deals. 
which I'm really looking forward to talking about. Um, he is uh, definitely an, a short-term rental expert. He has a portfolio of properties across five states, as well as some really cool boutique hotels, which um, we will definitely talk about. So uh, without further ado, uh, here's Mike. Hey, uh, so yeah, Mike, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Glad to be here. Awesome. So, uh, you know, we always like to start out, maybe just tell us a little bit about, you know, a brief uh, history about, you know, wh what your background was and uh, really what led you into real estate investing and then specifically into the short-term rental space. Yeah, for sure. So like you mentioned, you know, I was a CPA for 10 years, always pretty good with numbers and, um, you know, things are going pretty good. Um, you know, I was married, had a decent house in the burbs, a couple cars in the driveway. And then uh, everything changed when my son was born. He was born with a very rare lung disease. And so he had to be on oxygen. And uh, we spent a lot of time at the hospital. And at one point, we'd been there like three weeks straight. And I ran out of vacation time. I ran out of sick time. I had all these hospital bills piling up. And I had to leave my wife and my son in the hospital to go back to a desk and trade time for money. And, uh, you know, for those of you that are parents, you can probably imagine what that felt like. Um, so I was devastated. And I told my wife that day, I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to build us a business that gives us the income we want without ever trading time for money again. And I knew real estate was going to be the vehicle. You know, I was getting some mentorship on multifamily from some very well-known folks in the industry. And I thought that was going to be my path. And then I met a gentleman in a mastermind who was doing short-term rentals. This is back in like 2017, you know, kind of before it was like the sexy thing. And I was super skeptical. I was like, he was telling me how he was making like two grand a month net on all these properties. And I was like, look, man, I'm a numbers guy. Like, let me see your books. Like, I want to, I want to see like the real deal. And he showed me his books and I was like, wow, like this is, this is legit. And he was doing rental arbitrage. And for those of you guys that don't know what that means, you know, he's basically renting an apartment <clears throat> from a landlord, furnishing it, and then re-renting it as a short-term rental. And I was like, that sounds cool, but I don't know if that's above board. And I was like, I don't know. So I told my wife, I said, I want to test this out. So we pulled a loan out of our 401k and we bought this little two bedroom condo up in the mountains in New Hampshire. And I said, let's just test this out. Like we love going to that area anyway. We need to get away more often. It's like a three hour drive from my house. And um, so we did, right? So I pulled this money out, spent about, spent 60K between the down payment and the furniture, the furnishing, furnishings. Um, and that property was cash flowing 1500 bucks a month. And we were using it at least for a long weekend every month. And I was like, damn, this is pretty awesome. Um, so I, I'm getting paid to own a really cool vacation house up in the mountains. And I was like, okay, now how do I scale this? Cause I don't have any more cash to do more deals. How do I ramp this up? And I thought back to all the multifamily training I'd been to. And I was like, well, what if I found some traditional investors that own some apartments and what if I approached them and said, listen, if you spend, say, $10,000 to furnish this two-bedroom apartment and I could make you an extra 500 bucks a month, that's six grand a year, that's a 60% cash-on-cash return on your 10K investment. Is that something that you'd be interested in? We'll design it. We'll build it out. I'll run all the operations and you literally just get a check at the end of the month. And I got a lot of no's on that. You know, I was a CPA. I couldn't sell for anything if my life depended on it. But once I kind of got my pitch down a little bit, I finally got a couple people to give me a chance and we blew it out of the park for them. So, you know, one property was renting for 2000 bucks a month as a long-term rental. That property does over hundred K a year as a short-term rental. 
And so even after my management fee and everything, you know, they're still netting more than double what they were making before. And so it was a home run and it just snowballed really quickly from there. Within 15 months, we were in five different states. I had 15 doors um, and I was able to retire myself, my wife and my mom with short-term rentals in less than like a year and a half. And then it was like off to the races. Um, and we just kept scaling it up from there and got our first boutique hotel back in 2020, uh, which we can talk about. <clears throat> and then added a couple more short-term rentals, added our second boutique hotel uh, last year in 2021. And now we're under contract for our third and largest boutique hotel, which we should be closing next month. Um, and that'll put us right about a hundred units in total. So it's been, wow. it's been quite a ride. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. In such a short period of time, you know, you were able to scale so quickly. And, and uh, in terms of the operation side, like, how did you figure all of that stuff out? Was it just trial and error? Or what, did you have some partners that, you, that helped you along the way? So I'm, I'm a huge believer in like education. Like I still invest heavily in mentors and masterminds myself. Um, so I was just reaching out to anybody who was in the short-term rental game. Nobody at the time was really doing like the co-hosting or the management model but I could at least learn some of the operations from some folks that were buying properties or doing the rental arbitrage. I'm like, okay, what does, what does my tech stack need to look like? And so I'd get a little bit of piece over here and then I'd get another little bit of information over here. And I just kind of started piecemealing this whole, whole thing together. And I will say, I feel like one of my superpowers, yes, I'm really good with numbers, but I was also an auditor for a long time. So like process and systems are my jam. Like I'm just really good at creating process and streamlining things and quality control and all that. Um, so as I was looking at everything holistically, it was just like, okay, how do I put all these pieces together to really dial this in? And one of the things that a lot of people, when they start, they're like, I need to do my first deal in my backyard. I think that's more of a comfort zone thing. Um, it definitely would make it easier on you, but if you go like we did like three hours away, it forces you to create systems because if something goes wrong, I physically couldn't go there to fix it. So it really made me think through how do I create process and systems and have the right boots on the ground to like get there and fix things and clean the place and do everything um, from the get-go. Otherwise I'm screwed. So it, it really made me like think through all that early on. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that uh, that's the best way to, to, to grow and to scale from the very beginning is to have systems in place. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about, you know, there's a lot of people who are doing rental arbitrage or, uh, you know, uh, basically marketing it as a means to get into this uh, space with a low barrier of entry. Um, what are your thoughts on arbitrage versus co-hosting versus owning for somebody who's just looking to start out in Airbnb? Yeah. So I think it, it kind of depends on a few factors, right? So there's those three different models, right? I will tell you, if you own the property and you buy it right, you will net the most amount of cash flow, but it costs the most amount of capital to get in to do that, right? Then you have the rental arbitrage, where again, you've got to come up with first month's rent, last month's rent, security deposit, and all the furniture. And let's just say if you were going to own the property, it would net you $3,000 a month, just throwing out a number. If you're going to arbitrage it, let's just say it nets you... 1800 to two grand a month. And then if you do the co-hosting route where you're just running the property for somebody else and you're not putting any money into the deal, say you net a thousand bucks on that deal. Okay. So I was able to scale a lot faster because I didn't have one, I didn't have the money, but two, 
I didn't need to put in money. I was just providing a service that was very valuable to investors. So I was able to scale it up. So as far as the arbitrage goes, arbitrage tends to work better in urban and suburban markets. Like if you're going to try and do an arbitrage play in say Kissimmee, where I've got some property, it's going to be very challenging to do that in like a vacation market because the people that own properties there know that they could make more in three months than you're going to pay them for 12 months. So like, what's really the incentive to give you a property for 12 months? It's just, it's not as attractive. Um, But if you're approaching a developer that's just building a 200 unit complex and they're trying to get their lease, uh, their rent roll filled up and you're going to go in and take 10 units from that person. Okay. Well, that's attractive because what they're trying to do is fill it up so they can either refi it or sell it off to somebody else once they complete the project. So it really depends on like your geography and the type of property that you're going after. For me, I never... I never got into the arbitrage. I've still not done an arbitrage deal. I either own the properties or I co-host them. Um, but I have a lot of friends that do pretty good. But I also know a lot of people that jumped into this because it was like the sexy thing to do and they didn't understand their numbers. They got into cheaper properties, right? Where this, I call it like spreadsheet money. Like the spreadsheet makes it look like it's going to be great. Yeah. But in reality, if you're not getting booked because your property is subpar, it doesn't matter what the spreadsheet says. Yeah. So I think you just got to know your numbers and be in the right markets for that to make sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. It sounds like a, a very parallel to people who do long-term rentals. And uh, we've been through that too when we first started with those spreadsheet properties, right? Uh, yeah. You know, Yeah, we used to own some properties in uh, Rochester, New York. Um, yeah, when we first started. And, yeah, <laughs> we were buying them like pre-foreclosure and... Obviously, you know, in very rough neighborhoods, if the cash on cash return looked very good on paper, but you know, the maintenance, the tenant the, turnover, yeah, delinquencies, delinquencies ate up all, all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you know, being being aware of all of these external factors, and like you said, um, you know, not getting not getting taken away with just one one set of numbers is, is really important. So. Talk to us about, um, you know, for for selfishly, I'd like to learn more um, about your progression into sort of boutique hotels and why you chose to do that. I mean, I'm I'm guessing perhaps the scale of it, but perhaps you have a different, uh, um, you know, answer. Yeah, like did you see a a very a a need in the market or like an opportunity that you know, okay, you know what everybody's doing uh, short term rentals. Uh, with like, you know, single family homes, but this is a niche that uh, is really untapped. So I wish that I could say that I was like smart enough to identify that. But <laughs> the reality was, is honestly a deal kind of fell in my lap, right? So the, that uh, property I gave you an example of that went from 2000 to over a hundred thousand um, in revenue. The person that owns that property also owns a brokerage and is a developer. So after a couple, probably like a year and a half, we were crushing it with that property. And he found this hotel deal, uh, the first one. And he brought it to me and he was like, hey man, would your systems work at scale on something like this, like a commercial property on like a hotel? And so we went and looked at it and I was like, yeah, like definitely. Like after I looked at the layout and we could talk about some of the things I looked for, but I was like, yeah, this could definitely work. Um, but I said, I don't want a management fee. If we do this, I want ownership in this deal. And he talked to his business partner about it. And long story short, they were like, okay, done deal. 
And so we bought that first property in February of 2020, like right before COVID hit, um, closed on this thing, got seller financing on it, um, bought it for 2.2 or 2.25. We put 400 down, got seller financing on it, um, put another 600 into it. So we basically essentially raised a million between the two of them. Um, got all the operations tight, completely renovated this thing, opened it up of June, 2020. And then a year and a half later, uh, came in and appraised at 5.5 refinance, got all their cash out and some, and, uh, I own a third of that boutique hotel with, with none of my own money. Um, just implementing a lot of these systems. And there were a lot of learning lessons, uh, along the way on that first one. I'll tell you that for sure. For sure. So how was, how was the, how was it different? Um, when when you were dealing with a uh, single family versus now a hotel in terms of uh operations and obviously you know raising money for this deal uh but but also marketing it um to be successful so the the irony is right there's a couple major differences and i've done a bunch of reels on instagram about this in length but a couple of the major differences one when you're running short-term rentals and just say you're just on Airbnb or Verbo or whatever, the amount of phone calls you get is very minimal, very minimal. Unless something's really going wrong, if you're doing your job right and you've got all your systems in place and all your messaging and house manuals and everything, your phone rarely rings. With hotels, we have thousands of phone calls a month, thousands, because people are just used to picking up the phone to call a hotel. Yeah. Right. So that was a big adjustment that I was like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Right. So now we have a full staff uh, overseas in the Philippines that essentially run all my short term rentals, but they also answer the phones for the hotels. And they know those properties inside and out. We've done walkthrough videos with them. We've done all sorts of stuff. They know they know the properties. Um, So that was a huge change. So making sure that you have enough um, coverage to answer the phones, because if you don't, you're going to have really annoyed guests and you're going to leave a lot of money on the table because a lot of people just want to call and book on the phone still. Mostly the older demographic, but either way, like a lot of people like to call. Um, the second thing is, I mean, there's so many we could talk about. The laundry situation is definitely totally different. Um, fortunately, both of our hotels have laundry facilities on site. I've tried outsourcing it. Versus doing it in-house when I outsourced it, it was not a good experience. I, I tried multiple vendors. I'm like, all right, this is going to make my team's life so much easier. But we'd get back stain sheets. We'd get back the wrong sheets. We'd get missing sheets. Like it, it was just a mess. So we ended up just taking that all in-house. Um, I w- the plan originally was to run this thing completely remote, just like the short-term rentals. And what I found was this particular property is like a true boutique. Like it's a huge old Victorian mansion that they essentially chopped up into like an inn. It's very challenging to direct somebody to their room when there's a bunch of internal hallways and all these different rooms all over the place. And so we ended up having like a supervisor on site like seven days a week. So we ended up having to make that adjustment after the first year because it was just getting way too crazy. Um, for that property on the second property, we were on that one remote and I can talk about that after, but just the layout of the property and that it was a higher end hotel. Like we took it from call it a C class property 
C minus to like a B plus at a 400 to 500 nightly rate guests have higher expectations and then want to be taken care of for certain things. So like we ended up adding, um, a seasonal bar on our deck. This is like an oceanfront property. So like we've got this awesome deck that overlooks the water. So we've got the seasonal bar up there. Um, we've got parking for the beach. So we've got like a 50 space parking lot. We only need 14 spaces for the hotel. So we rent out the parking spaces for the beachgoers in the summer. So that hotel is basically fully staffed, which was not my initial plan. Yeah, the numbers still work, but that was just like, damn, it doesn't really work like that for. And that was your first hotel too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Must have gone through a lot of uh, growing pains. Yeah, I mean, the good thing was is that it did very well. Oh, the other big thing that I was going to mention. Okay, less than ten percent of my bookings on either hotel come from Airbnb. Okay, people are not going on Airbnb to look for hotels. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Right. So it's like, let's just round it up. Call it 10% Airbnb, 15 to 20% booking.com. And the rest is all direct bookings through our website. Wow. And we've had two different strategies for how we do that for each hotel. One of them, we just got really involved with like the local community, the chamber, everything else, built out a really good website and just really pushed the reviews on Google. Because when you go to travel and you're looking for a hotel, what are you doing? You're going to Google and you're searching hotels in this city. So now we have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google for this property. And that's just a huge lead gem for us. And then we have somebody that does social media a few times a week. It's like running a true business, right? Short-term yeah. rentals are kind of spoiled. It's like, oh, I'll just slap this thing on Airbnb and I'll start making some money. It doesn't really work like that with the hotels. You got to put in a lot more work. You can make way more money, but you got to put in a lot more work and treat it like a business. Um, The other property, we do some like Google AdWords and I pay an SEO company to write blog posts and all this other stuff. So we've tested a couple different approaches and they both work. Um, And then the next phase will be be to really start like rolling out like email marketing and all this other stuff that we haven't done, but we're still doing very well. So it's just like the icing on the cake. Yeah, no, that's great. So maybe we can sort of delve a little bit deeper into how you determine whether a location is suitable for this and how somebody were to, if somebody were to look into getting into the short-term boutique hotel space, how they would even begin, like how are they tourist markets or are they urban markets? Like where, where are you really looking? So I've got, they're kind of like, my portfolio is kind of mixed, right? So like that first one is definitely like a vacation market. Um, not super well known, but again, going back to, we always start even on the short-term rentals, like who are we trying to serve? Like who's our target demographic for this property? So for that first one, it was like working professionals in Boston that have good incomes. And we've got specifications around all this, but like good incomes that are looking to get out of the city for a few days and enjoy the beach. And instead of sitting in all the traffic to go down to Cape Cod, they can just go up from the city 45 minutes and they're at our spot. And so we really designed and catered this property to like a demographic between like 28 to 48. Like that's kind of like our sweet spot. We have some folks that are older or younger or whatever, but like that's our ideal demographic. So again, contactless self-check-in. Every every door has um, a Wi-Fi enabled lock. So like there's no front desk, even though we have somebody there, there's no front desk to go check in and get a key. To me, I feel like that's a waste of time and I hate, going to a hotel and waiting 20 minutes to get a key. It's like, so yeah. Dumb. Yeah. 
So it's all like self-check-in. If they need extra towels or linens or whatever, we put a bunch of extras in the room. And then if they need even more, we have supply closets strategically placed throughout the hotel that it's like, yeah, feel free. If you need some, go grab some. They're right here. Right. Instead of having to wait for somebody to like bring me a towel, it's like I could just take three steps out of my room and go in this closet and grab another towel. Right. And that's not going to be for everybody. There's always going to be people that want like the Ritz Carlton experience or like the super budget experience or whatever. But it's like if you know who you're trying to target, put yourself in their shoes. Mm -hmm. What are they looking for? Yeah. Right. So then on the urban side or suburban, right, we've got a couple that are going to be. 30 minutes outside of the city <clears throat> tends to be more working professionals. Uh, folks that are doing house renovations tend to attract longer stays because these places are essentially apartments. The first one is just hotel rooms. The other one is like 21 apartments essentially. And so we get a lot more extended stays and the price point's a lot different, right? It might be 150 to 180 a night where the other one's 300 to 600 a night, depending on the seasonality. So like right. very different, but again, it's, it's starting with like, who am I trying to serve? And I think if you're going to get into hotels, I would start with a market that you just know really well, because it's a lot harder to just invest. In my opinion, it would be a lot harder to invest out of state and like master that market and know all the little intricacies and what neighborhoods you should be in and where people go and what they like to do. You can get away with that on the short-term rental side. If you're going to invest a bunch of money in a boutique hotel, you better know that market really good before you spend some money on that stuff. Um, right. So like now I just know the markets that we invest in. I'm like, I know this is a really good area. This is who we can attract. These are the draws to that area, whether it's a college, a hospital, uh, some vacation spot, a big office complex, whatever it is, like you're just going to know those things and where people are going to like to stay. Yep. And then analyzing your competition. So like you can go on a site like str.com, it's Smith Travel Research, and you can buy these market reports where like you'll put together a comp set of, all right, these are like my five best comps. And then you can buy a market report from them and it'll give you an average of those five comps going back years. Like what's their occupancy? What's their revenue? What's their average yearly rate? What's their rev bar? All these different stats that you could use. On the short-term rental side, where pretty spoiled with sites like AirDNA and SCR Insights where you can be like, what's that property doing? And you can actually see like historical data on every specific property in the country. You don't really get that as much on the hotels. Yeah, but- yeah absolutely. <clears throat> you know, in terms of competition, um, what, what would make your hotel unique versus like a, a um, you know, uh, another hotel in the area? Uh, what would drive like I know you're doing the uh, ex- no the, the SEO marketing and and uh, uh, Google reviews, Google reviews, obviously all of that. But um, how is it you know that you're attracting and and perhaps even charging more than uh, an average hotel would uh, in the area? So it's again thinking like who am I trying to serve? The 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 best way that I found to stand out is through your design. Like our design team. We work with on design interiors. It's their lights out. So it's like, how do we make this property stand head and shoulders above anything else in our area? And you don't have to spend an insane amount of money, but it's like, how can I make this property unique? Because most of the people that were, I'm not going to, I'm not competing against 
the Hiltons and the Marriott's and anything else like that. Yeah. It's a different experience than what those folks are looking for. But at the same time, most of those rooms at those other flagged hotels are very cookie cutter. And it's like, you know what you get. It's like four walls, beige with some curtains and a bed and a desk. And like, that's what you're getting. Right. But if, if you go to one of my places, it's like, wow. You've got like accent walls or nice like design pieces like throughout the whole place. So it just like looks better. Like visually, it just looks better. So standing out from a design aspect and then also just like the convenience factor of like, I don't need to go to a front desk. If I want to check in at 4 p.m. or midnight, I have my code. I have all the information I need for my stay. I can talk to a staff member 24-7. We have 24-7 phone coverage if they ever need anything. It's just like the ease of convenience. It's just a different experience than if you're going to go to a traditional hotel. Right. right. Yeah, I know. That's pretty cool. So speaking of design, I mean, uh, there has been, uh, maybe we can switch gears a little bit and talk about the Airbnb space in general, and maybe you can shed light on your thoughts about you know economics and all of that stuff going on. So obviously, um, you know, just yesterday, there's somebody I follow on Instagram here locally who was showing some of our markets here and showing obviously a big saturation in the number of listings that have increased over the last little while. And that, you know, obviously supply and demand and all of these factors are not evening out. Um, You know, what are your thoughts with, uh, you know, getting into the space, what's happening and, you know, this impeding recession that everybody's talking about changes in interest rates, um, you know, and, and, and sort of how, one would navigate all of that if they were to be getting into the space right now. So again, it ties into the design thing, right? So a lot of people have gotten by over the last few years, just like getting an okay place in an okay area with okay design and somebody's going to book it because the demand coming out of COVID has been through the roof. Like it's been record setting years for the last 18 months, two years. Yeah. So Now, if you think of it, if there's going to start to be less demand, like less people traveling, let's just make that assumption. If your place doesn't stand out, every other place that does is going to get booked first. And then you're left trying to fight for like whatever the slim pickings are after that. So I'm in probably the most saturated market in the world with Kissimmee, Florida. It's like 37,000 rentals in that zip code. Like it's ridiculous. But we're like in the top 2% of properties in that market because we made the property so ridiculously cool that if people are going to go down there, they're going to want to stay at a place like mine with like themed rooms. We hired, you know, engineers from Disney to build these custom bunks and slides and arcades and movie theaters and all this crazy stuff. Now I get it. There's budgetary constraints on that, right? That wasn't my first deal. That was like my 40th. Right. So it's like you, you'll build up to that, but thinking through, okay, where do people want to go? What size property is ideal for that demographic? And then how do I make this thing stand out? When I'm looking at short term rentals now, I don't want to cater, like I'm catering to the upper class because regardless if there's a recession or not, those people are still going to travel. Like they just will. Yeah. Like, if gas price quadruples, they're still going to go on vacation. Like it's not going to matter. Right. But if you are on more of a budget, what I would say is let's just say you had a hundred grand right now that you were going to invest. Okay. I would go after, let's just say traditional financing 20% down. Okay. 
I would rather see you buy a smaller property and have 30 to 50K to furnish it and make that thing unbelievable than spend all of your money on the down payment and then try and furnish it on a budget because it's just not going to work well. It just won't. It's not going to pop. The biggest mindset shift, I think, for traditional like multifamily investors versus short-term rental investors is in multifamily, the name of the game is expense control because you can only bump your rent so much. Maybe you can squeeze yeah. out an extra 200 bucks a month or 300 bucks a month, whatever. Yeah. With a short-term rental, you could increase that thing thousands of dollars a month if you do it right. So there's yeah. way more upside. So like, yes, I keep an eye on expenses, but honestly, I spend more upfront to make the property head and shoulders above anything else because I know that the return will be substantially higher if I do that. So it's just a totally different mindset going into that. Like if you're trying to be super frugal going in, it's going to bite you after it's up and running. Yeah. So just That's know such a that great when you point. get into this game. Yeah. Yeah, I know that's such a great point. And somebody mentioned it the other day, uh, somebody I was talking to actually in the mastermind that, you know, now it's all about the Instagram worthiness of your property, right? Like think, does somebody want to take photos in my house and send it to their friends on Instagram? And if the answer is no, well, you know, maybe you should rethink your your furnishings and stuff, right? Because that seems to be like, just like this whole craze. I don't know if you guys have it over here, but there, but here there's this whole craze on these glamping tents, right? On, in terms of short-term rentals. And again, it's, it's, it's so interesting because a lot of the people, like I have, we have a, somebody who we know who's in the industry and it's like, Half of the time they're there, they're taking photos in the glamping tent, right? Like they're taking photos, it's about the experience, it's about the Instagram worthiness of the tent. So, um, you know, the Airbnb industry has really changed. Like you said, it's like, why would somebody rent an Airbnb versus renting a hotel or renting a boutique hotel versus renting a Hilton? Like there's different markets that you're serving and there's different needs that you're providing to that client at the end of the day. So you need to make sure that your product at the end of the day serves that client really well. Exactly. It's all about the experience, right? So again, like making it stand out and just thinking of some little touches, like I got this from my my buddy, Bill Faith, like just putting in like a coffee bar, like I'm a coffee snob, like fully admitted. So like I put in, in that Florida house, I put in like an espresso machine, a French press and a Keurig with like full beans, a coffee grinder, every, like a full coffee bar set up. So then we don't advertise that anywhere, but like when they show up, they're like, oh, that's sweet. Like if you're a coffee person, you're like, that's awesome. Right. Just those little things that like maybe cost me a few hundred bucks to buy all that stuff. But the nightly rate on that house is $1,200 to $1,500 a night. Like it's not like it's totally worth it. Right. So just think of like those little things that would be like, wow. Right. At the beginning, it was like we were targeting a lot of families and couples. So we would put like pack and place, high chairs, strollers, kids games, anything. So to help them like pack lighter, it's like, hey, we've thought of all these things for you. Cause I know at the time, like my son was three. It's like, we can do all this stuff for you. Here's all the stuff that we have for free. I'm not going to charge you for it. We'll make sure it's sanitized before you arrive. Here's all the good stuff that you need for the kiddos. Done. Right. Like just those little touches. That's like, wow, they really care. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Mike, as we're kind of coming to a close here, uh, maybe you can tell us like, what do you envision for yourself for the next five years? Like, where do you see this going? Um, Do you see yourself, uh, you know, getting into bigger hotels or do you see yourself continuing to sort of grow the single family short-term rentals? Like what is sort of your vision with the business? 
it's going to be a blend. So like right now we're talking offline. I'm closing, we're closing on another hotel um, in about a month. Uh, that'll be our biggest one yet. That'll be over 50 units for that one. So that'll be a, an extensive rehab that'll go live like in September. Um, so I'll keep doing some of the commercial stuff. I like that a lot. And then I'll f- continue to to buy more of like the luxury single families down around Kissimmee. Uh, I know that market, there's always demand for that market. I've got a great team in that market. Um, and I just selfishly, I just like going there. So <laughs> yeah. it's just fun to kind of go down there and I'll probably throw in a, a really nice uh, beach house somewhere um, down there at some point, but yeah, it's just continue to grow that. I mean, honestly, most of my time now is spent on my podcast, on the match mastermind coaching. Um, we've got the STR wealth conference that we're doing now every year. Like just, I just like doing stuff like this. Um, Cause again, we've, we've hit our goal. Like we're, we've hit that quote unquote financial freedom. Like we're good financially and yeah, we'll keep growing that, but I get more fulfillment out of helping other people doing it now and just like kind of passing that on. Um, and a good question for everybody to ask themselves, a mentor asked me this before I got into any of this, he said, if you had, let's just say $10 million a year coming in and you never needed to work again, what would you want to spend your time doing? Because I talk to a lot of people and a lot of people say, I want financial freedom. And I'm like, cool. So what does that mean for you? Like when you're financially free, what do you want to do with your time? And the way I look at like my purpose and mission now is if I can just help people take that money piece off the table, if we can get you to that, whatever, 10, 20, 30 K a month, whatever your number is to, you know, replace your income and live comfortably. Like, what would you want to do with your time? And like, get yourself back in the driver's seat to like design the life that you want to live. That's what I care about. Yeah, no. Very and, nice. Yeah. yeah. It seems like that's always been a great uh, driver for you is you've always had some big whys, right? So why you did this in the first place and then sort of your big why as to what's propelling you forward. So I think that's a really good lesson too, is just really understanding your why and having it be deep enough that it motivates you every day to sort of continue forward. Cause I know like you make everything sound super easy and, and you're, it's you're, not you're, always, you know, it's, it's, guys, I promise. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just the sheer operation side of things. I know it's it's like I, yeah. I can't you're even so imagine about it. You're like <laughs> super. Yeah. So again, like when you have that strong why, whatever that reason is for you, that'll just pull you forward when you're going through those rough times, or you're just like, man, what am I doing this for? Like, yeah, you know, because it it sounds gravy now, right? But it wasn't always. It wasn't always that case as we were building all this out, right? So just yeah, keep that absolutely. in the back of your mind. Yeah, absolutely. But if you persist so, long enough, you'll be fine. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome advice. So um, before we sign off here, um, if people want to get in touch or people want to learn about the mastermind, I know you guys have some uh, free resources that people can use if they're just looking to like even start playing around with analyzing some numbers. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how we would get in touch? We'll put it in our show notes as well. Sure. Yeah. So we've got a bunch of free resources, like a free deal analyzer, free training on how to analyze markets and properties, a whole bunch of free goodies. Um, you can go to STR secrets, like short-term rental, strsecrets.com slash resources. Again, that's totally free. Um, cause a lot of people DM me after they buy a deal and I'm like, I can't, you bought the wrong deal. So if I can at least just help you guys make sure you don't get in that situation, um, I'm happy to do that. So you can check that out. And then you can follow me on Instagram uh, at the Airbnb guy. Um, 
You got the Facebook group, Short Term Rental Secrets, YouTube channel, Short Term Rental Secrets, the podcast, Short Term Rental Secrets. We're we're pretty much all over the place. Yeah, podcast is absolutely amazing for those of you looking to get into or just learn more about it. I have been personally listening to so many of them and really, really good guests and um, you know, really good information on there as well. So highly encourage you to check out uh, Mike and follow him on Instagram where he's absolutely exploded and puts out some amazing content. Uh, So really, really good content, Mike. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on our show. show. Yeah. We really appreciate your time. Thank you guys. Anytime. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.